Hey, and welcome to Part-Time Struggle. My name is Matthew Charlton. This is episode 23, and my topic today is going to be PTSD. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine, his name is Jonathan Taylor, he reached out to me and he said that he'd like to discuss his time in the military and the PTSD he developed from that experience. Jonathan and I go back all the way to middle school, so we've known each other most of our lives. In 2002, Jonathan enlisted in the Army, and during his tenure in the Army, he experienced many life-changing experiences, and he decided to share those stories with me and, and you. Uh, and this is exactly why I started Part-Time Struggle. I want it to be an informative podcast slash blog in which people can talk about the not-so-fun side of life to let others know that, hey, you know, sometimes life sucks, and here's how I'm dealing with it, and it's also to let others know that, hey, you aren't alone in your struggles in life. My conversation with Jonathan goes into how we know each other, his upbringing, why he decided to join the military, his experience in the Army, what he gained and lost, his thoughts on the VA, and what he's done in the past to work on his PTSD, and what he's currently doing to manage his mental health struggles. Jonathan was able to provide a point of view that research on the internet could not do for me. I am very thankful that Jonathan reached out to me and wanted to be a part of part-time struggle. Before we jump into his story, though, I want to first give you a little background information on PTSD. Combat stress can be found over 2,000 years ago in historical literature with one of the first mentions in a, in a story in 5th century ancient Greece. During World War I, the term shell shock was introduced and the conditions associated with shell shock are similar to what we currently know as post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. During the 1970s, a social movement started to, to study Holocaust survivors, Vietnam vets, and survivors of domestic abuse to understand better their commonalities. In 1974, the term rape trauma syndrome was coined by psychologist Ann Wolbert Burgess and sociologist Linda Light Holmstrom, which describes a variant of PTSD experienced by women who had undergone the harrowing experience of sexual assault marked by the three phases of the stress responses. The three phases of the stress responses was kind of a new terminology to me. So I researched it and here's what I found. Your body responds to stress in three different ways, which is called the general adaptation syndrome. Those three phases are the alarm stage, which is when the central nervous system is awakened, causing your body's defenses to assemble. It's basically the fight or flight response that's activated at that point. Then there's the resistance stage, and which is your body starting to repair itself, which is when the body is trying to get the heart rate, the blood pressure, trying to get that all back to normal. And after this stage, the body enters a recovery phase but remains on high alert for a while. And then finally, the third stage is the exhaustion stage, which is the activation of the first two stages over time, which causes a breakdown in the balance within your body, leading to certain diseases such as diabetes or heart disease. The phrase post-traumatic stress disorder first appeared in the American Psychiatric Association in 1980 when it was added to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Although controversial when first introduced, the PTSD diagnosis has filled an important gap in psychiatric theory and practice. The Mayo Clinic describes post-traumatic stress disorder as a mental health condition that's triggered by a terrifying event, either experiencing it or witnessing it. Symptoms may include flashbacks, nightmares, and severe anxiety, as well as uncontrollable thoughts about the event. About 6 of every 10 men, 60%, for your math majors out there, and around 5 of every 10 women, or 50% for you math majors out there, experience at least one trauma in their lives. 
PTSD can happen to anyone, and it's not a sign of weakness. There are many factors that contribute to developing PTSD. The National Institute of Mental Health says that PTSD can develop after exposure to potentially traumatic events that is beyond a typical stressor. Events that may lead to PTSD include, but are not limited to, violent personal assaults, natural or human-caused disasters, accidents, combat, and other forms of violence. Exposure to events like these is common. About one half of all U.S. adults will experience at least one traumatic event in their lives, but most do not develop PTSD. People who experience PTSD may have persistent, frightening thoughts and memories of the events, experience sleep problems, feel detached or numb, or may be easily startled. In severe forms, PTSD can significantly impair a person's ability to function at work, at home, and socially. Over 70% of adults will experience at least one traumatic event in their lifetime, with 20% of those developing PTSD. There are about 8 million people with PTSD in a given year, and about 1 in 13 people will develop PTSD at some point in their lives. So, with that, uh, let's get into Jonathan's story, but let me get some trigger warnings out the way with part-time struggle. I do cuss some, and in the upcoming um, interview here with Jonathan, there will be there will be some cussing, uh, and we will also talk about a lot of mental health struggles and everything that encompasses um, mental health issues. So if that's something you're not comfortable with, then please turn this off and come back potentially at a later time. Now that we have the research and statistics and trigger warnings out of the way, please enjoy listening to what Jonathan has to say about PTSD from his first person point of view. I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did. So Jonathan, um, it's good to see you today. It's, it's weird being here because I'm back at my old house. This is the house I grew up in. So this is this is interesting to, to look around. I got stories like I can think of stories looking at every part of this house. So it's just interesting to be back here. And, and why Jonathan lives in my old house, he's not a weirdo or anything. Um, <laughs> a year or so after my father died, um, I was looking to, to sell off some property in Darlington and Jonathan happened to be, happened to be looking for a house at that time. And one thing led to another and I was lucky enough to kind of sell it to him. So I, that way I, I knew it was taken care of. Um, and he's, he's done a good job of keeping, keeping care of it. And I'm glad he's living here. Um, he seems to be happy here. Um, before we started this podcast today, he was showing me all the stuff that he has for video editing and his mute, his love for music. He has the same love for music that I do. Um, all in this, all in a back room of my house that was never, ever used when I live here. There was just a table back there and I can't remember that part of the house being used for anything, but now he's got like a, a studio back there and it's just so, so nice to see that the house is being used properly and, and all that good stuff. So without, with, with all that said, so Jonathan, it's, yeah. it's good to see you, man. Good tell, to see you too. Yeah. Tell, tell people something about you that, that you would want someone to know. I don't know that there's a whole lot <laughs> that that I'd like people to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're going to uh, find out a whole lot yeah. today about you. Well, I knew that I had to come over here. My mental illness started with I uh, started pulling for the Gamecocks. And, yes, uh, right. Yeah, that that was very stressful. That's been my um, my downfall, and then it just progressed from there. You know, <laughs> started at a young age. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was set up for failure <laughs> at an early age. Yeah. But, so you're you're a father of two boys, right? Yep, I got two boys. Um, 
you know, Noah, he just got his license. He'll be 16. and That's insane to think yeah. about that you have a 16-year-old. Yeah, November. And then my youngest, he, he'll he be 14 in October. Yeah. So, yeah, getting old. Yeah, and, we, uh, we are getting older. So so we met, um, what was it, middle school or before middle school? When did we actually kind of get to know each other? I think it was before middle school, but it was mainly through ball fields. Like you come in for Eric. Yeah. Um, me and Eric played ball together yep. from young age, and uh, and then from uh, sleepovers at his house for like birthdays and mm-hmm. things of that, and then uh, found out that we lived what, less than a mile from each other. Definitely and, less than a mile, yeah, yeah. And so I think it just kind of took off from there. And then we then we both had the the passion for music. You play guitar, I play drums. It yeah. seemed like a a natural thing that we would start a band together, and we did. I don't even remember the name of the band. It was a long time uh, ago. Semi Theory. Semi Theory. That's yep. it. Goodness, gosh, that was what ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, it was. It was before I could drive because you'd have to come pick me up a lot of times. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. So, we, we've been friends for a while, but it wasn't until recently that Jonathan and I found out we were actually related. And that was because of 23andMe. I did 23andMe uh, several years ago. And I, I did it because um, I, I had been told my whole life that I had Indian in me. And I look in the mirror and I see nothing but translucent paleness. So, I'm like, <laughs> that's fucking bullshit. And so I did the 23andMe, and I got my results back. And when they sent me my results back, they actually sent me – they sent a bottle of sunscreen with me. And they're like, <laughs> your white ass is going to need this. So yeah. that was my 23andMe experience. So And you did it, I think, last year. And, yeah. And you did it, and you got your results back. And, and, and I popped up on your list. You popped up on mine. Yeah. And that got me to thinking, like, how many – couples married couples in the south have done 23 and me and then got the results and they're like oh shit <laughs> that's funny because that's actually why i did it because <laughs> that's why you did yeah i was getting yes. engaged and the last girl had a surname of my family and yeah you don't want to take chances with that yeah and so when we found this out uh because when i met her she she still had her uh ex's last name okay and uh so i researched it and that was the most gut-wrenching time like waiting for (laughs) these couple weeks to come now we weren't engaged at the time we had just started dating but uh yeah so went through that but the same thing so i've got a tattoo on my arm and Mm -hmm. uh on there it has a tomahawk and then uh, um four-leaf clover okay and bagpipes because okay. I was always told we were Scottish, Irish, and Indian or yeah. Native American or, you know, whatever the PC mm-hmm. term is now. And, um, yeah, that was false. Uh, the, <laughs> so you uh, didn't have any in your blood either? No, oh, okay. no. And I was told that my, my, you know, my great, great grandmother was full blooded, uh, Blackfoot. I think it was, um, been told that my whole life. Yep. Same. Uh, and then that came back and the only, I had like 1% indigenous blood and that was um, where the Aztecs came from. It was yeah. like down in South America. So, <clears throat> yeah. So now I have to figure out how to get this covered up or, you know. Nah, I just leave it. You can just say you're a Braves fan. Yeah. Or Florida State. It yeah, works. Yeah, there you go. We'll figure it, it out. It works with it. So a couple of weeks ago, the reason I'm, I'm here uh, with you today, a couple of weeks ago, you reached out to me and you're like, hey. I see you got this podcast um, and you're talking about mental health stuff and you, 
I knew that you had, you know, your mental, your, your struggles. Um, uh, but I didn't, I didn't want to approach you with it cause I didn't know how sensitive you were to it. So I'm, I'm so thankful you approached me because I've been wanting to do an episode, uh, with someone that had been in the military and with someone that has PTSD. So I'm so, so thankful you reached out to me and that's what part-time struggle is about. It's not just about me talking about my stuff. Um, it's a forum for anyone that, that wants to share their story to show other people, hey, um, you know, you're not alone out there. So that's that's what part-time struggle is about. So I'm, I'm thankful you reached out to me. So tell me, just give me a little background on um, just your military experience. So like, when did you join? Um, were you recruited? Uh, why did you join the military? Uh, just just the, the general background. I guess when, when we were high school, that's when it probably st- uh, started, I assume. Yeah. Um... So all of the men in my like immediate family, my, my grandparents, my dad, uh, my step-granddad, they were all in some form of military, National Guard, Navy, Air Force, and Army. And um, <clears throat> so it was something that I don't know if I really truly considered it, but it was always there. Yeah. I always knew about it. Um, then 9-11 happened. I was actually in welding class when – the first tower got hit. So you were a senior in high school because I that was you were a year behind me. I was in my freshman year of college. You were a senior in high school. I, think I was. Yeah, I was a senior or a junior. I thought I might have been a junior. If you were a year behind me, you had to been a senior. You graduated in two thousand two, right? Yeah, yeah, you oh, senior. Okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah I don't. It's, it's I, been a while, Jonathan. Yeah, it's been I, a while. I got, I got you. So, so uh, that happened, and somebody. You're you're right. I was a senior. Somebody came over to the. Uh, the classroom and told us that it was going on mm-hmm. and um like when they first told you like was it a terrorist attack is happening or oh shit this thing is happening yeah it's funny because the guy who came over there is known to be like a, a liar you know <laughs> which is funny because um that was kind of his uh shtick i guess mm-hmm. in high school everybody referred to him as you know uh, he's gonna make up the stories yeah and so when he walks in well he said that it was the world or not the world trade he said it was the uh, empire state building okay and so he called me in he's like a plane crashed into the empire state building so when it happened originally i was like oh man that sucks but that was about the extent of my thought on it yeah. because you know you you're thinking it's an accident right and then about um five minutes later somebody else comes in there and is like a second plane is hit. Yeah. So we're like, what? And so that's when we all go to the classroom that had the TV. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess that's all where it kind of started once it started coming out that it was a terrorist attack yeah. and things like that. Um, I think everybody got patriotic, whether you were going to do uh, military duty or, you know, just, you know, support America in right. general. Yeah. And um, I think what got it for me is a couple of my friends, there was a, a store owned by some Indians and they went in there and kind of um, gave the guy a hard time and yeah. was throwing some of his stuff on the floor. Yeah. And I was like, first of all, you're idiots because he's Correct. from India. Right. You know, you're yes. fucking morons. Yes. But two, I was like, if you really want to do something about it, then go sign your name on a paper and go do something. Don't go harass the man who is trying to, live his american dream in america you know wise words jonathan i'm proud of you for sticking up for that guy that was that was that was brave of you and did those guys do that or they i was the only one yeah i was the only one they ended up uh going out well well, you're a man of your word so i respect that um so 
so were you recruited or you just decided? Uh, I, well, I went and I actually applied um, online. I went to the Marines uh, first. It's a dial-up internet, right? Yeah, yeah. I had <laughs> so to gave, wait. It gave you time to think about it. <laughs> yeah, people kept calling. It kept knocking me off. <laughs> AOL. Yeah, so Eric, um, who is your cousin. He is my cousin. Um, which makes him your cousin too, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. They're, we're so intertwined. Yes. Who knows? Um, but <laughs> Eric, uh, he was in the Marines. And uh, Ben Williams, another one of our friends, mm-hmm. went to the Marines. And so Ben was actually in the Marines when I decided. But that's who I looked at first because that's what all my friends, right. you know, were talking about or going to. And I applied to the Army because that's where my dad went. Okay. And the Army just got back with me first. So uh, the recruiters came out. And, you know, everybody has these horror stories with recruiters. They were honest with me. They didn't really lie. Like, really? I cannot remember my recruiter's name. I had two of them. Um, one of them I actually saw at the 82nd. I went to the 82nd Airborne mm-hmm. in Fayetteville. Um, he came, and I wanted to go to welding. And I know this seems naive, but I didn't realize that infantry was a job. Um when you watch in movies and you see them shoot and all that, yeah. I just assumed that was the army in general. Um, and so when they're like, there's 212 jobs, I assume that like you did your job. Yeah. But then if you went to war, you, you shot at people and right. got shot at, you know, that was just my understanding. Mm-hmm. And so I asked to go to welding and it took him a while to even find the welding video. Cause he said, <laughs> uh, you know, it's not something common that comes up. And so he shows me this video and this guy welding in the rain and he's welding on a Humvee and this and that. And I was like, that's cool. Where's his gun? And uh, he was like, oh, well, I'm sure he's got one. You know, uh, it's probably in an arms room or something. I was like, so what's he do when uh, the enemy comes? And he's like, well, you know, he's probably going to be in a, a, a base somewhere. You right. know, he won't be in combat. Yeah. And I was like, well, I want to. I want a gun, you know? And so that's where he's like, well, you want to be infantry. And my dad's like looking all disappointed in me. Cause he was like, son, that's what I was infantry. So all these stories he told, I just never put two and two together. And, uh, so that's what I ended up. And then I still, I'd never been away from home, which I think is if anybody's out there, especially from this area that has never traveled, I recommend it because you recommend traveling, 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 traveling first. Yes. Uh, I'd never been around you. You come up with the stigma, especially in Darlington, that this is where you're supposed to be. This mm-hmm. is where your family is. Uh, even if you talk about moving away, everybody's like, Oh, why do you want to do that? Everybody, you know? And so you kind of get stuck. So I was trying to stay as close to home as possible. Yep. And so the two options I had for infantry was Georgia and Fayetteville. And Fayetteville, you have to be airborne and you get more money for being airborne. It's like $250 more a month or something. So I was like, I want to do that. But my dumb ass had never ridden in a plane before. So the first <laughs> seven that I rode in, I had to jump out of, and it was a terrible experience. Right. And the first one I landed in was in uh, Kuwait. So it was an even worse experience. Wow. So, uh, yeah, we did that. But uh, the recruiter, he even he told me, he said, you know, I recommend that you sign up for three years. He said, uh, four is what's probably the sweet spot. You're going to get your education and the most out of that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, uh, 
he said six is too long. Hey, I mean, my recruiter is pretty honest with me. I, I can't say he lied to me. Um, he probably didn't have to do much of a pitch. I was going. Yeah. You know? It sounded like yeah. you already had your mind made up. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so it was one of those easy recruits. Um, so is there something – so when you got to the military and, and you went through basic and you were then, you know, in the military, is there anything – about the military or about serving that people may not know that you don't see on the movies, you don't hear about necessarily just like some, you know, just, did you know this? I think what people don't realize is most of the kids that are going through basic are kids. Um, you know, you don't think about it because when you think of soldiers, you're thinking of people fighting or whatever. Mm -hmm. What you're not realizing is these guys, man, their brains aren't even fully developed. Yeah, I think it doesn't hit till like 25, 26. Yep. So, I mean, you're going in, you're fresh out of high school. I did, I'd never lived on my own. Yep. I never had more than probably a couple of hundred dollars at any given time. Right. And then you're putting these kids, take away the wartime effort. Mm -hmm. Um, you're putting kids in a situation where they're coming directly from high school. Most have never been on their own. You're giving them money. They're doing a job that is very structured and basic. But then when they get out, there's so many opportunities for failure. And you get yeah. out, and that's why a lot of them, people don't realize, but a lot of the NCOs, the the sergeants and stuff. What does NCO stand for? Uh, Non-commissioned officer. Okay. So a lot of your NCOs, they're kind of like the the direct line of, of um, leadership that you have. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to go buy a car, you have to go let them know because they're, they have to be like, dude, that interest rate is stupid. So no, it's, it's like, somewhat like a guardian yeah, in a way. Okay. It is basically kind of so I think that people forget um a lot of the things and that's why when you saw a lot of these uh people taking pictures with the prisoners and that whole thing got yeah. like blown up. You got I'm not saying it's right. I'm not trying to defend them. What I am trying to tell you is man, these are kids. Most of these are kids. I was, I'd been to war twice before I was old enough to drink, wow. you know, like, uh, <laughs> that is, that is insane to think about. Yeah. So during your time in the military, what did you gain and lose? Um, I'm sure there was both gains and losses. What, what would you, when I say those words, what's the first things that come to your head? Um, I think gain, I got a, an appreciation for, exactly what it is to be free i guess to say like i mean i know we have a lot of regulations and we're having a lot of stuff in the political world that's going on mm -hmm. that i kind of really just tune out but the fact that, that you're you can, a smart man yeah you're a smart man <laughs> uh the fact that you can wake up in the middle of the night and find a 24-hour gas station and get something cold to drink if you want it is a luxury that you're not going to find everywhere it's right. little things you take for granted um I'm very against the the um saying I'm starving. I don't let my kids tell me that mm -hmm. because I've I've watched that. I've seen poverty at its great and, and we have it here in America, but it's on a greater scale sure. in other places. Sure. Um so I think and I was forced to grow up as far as the outlook I had on the world. I still did very immature stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just my understanding of the world in general. Um, I guess losses is in the same time I had to grow up fast. I, I lost a lot of, um, I guess of my youth because 
it did not end when I got out. That's where the the mental health issues started. So my early 20s, I was still struggling with the effects of what I felt from being 19, 20, 21 Mm -hmm. in the military. So um, I didn't get my shit together until my mid to late 30s now. And and, uh, I'm not going to put all the blame on that, but I'm going to put some of it on that trying to say that you know, it just took me a while to figure things out. Well, I mean, it, but people think, and I've talked about this before on previous podcasts, uh, there's no timeline for life. Even though we're told that you, you go to high school, you you graduate, you then go to college, then as soon as you get out of college, you get a career, you get married, and you have kids, and it has to be in that order. Yeah. And that's such bullshit. It is. That is such bullshit. Um, so you getting, I hope you don't feel bad about you saying you get, you got your life together at 30, whatever. Don't So yeah. that, that is not fair to you. Um, I mean, you, you, it doesn't matter when you get your life together or even if you do just is enjoy, enjoy yourself, enjoy who you are. Uh, but you did mention, um, some mental health issues. So before you went to the military, did you have any issues or the, these mental health issues all, you know, kind of manifest and grow and start within the military ranks. I was not diagnosed with anything before I went, but um, I do remember a friend of mine's mom mentioning that I should be tested. Um, I've always had like uh, very high ups and very low downs. Yeah kind of mimic a bipolar thing, okay. um, which is something I still struggle with, but I also had a brain injury that um, mimics bipolar. Mm-hmm. So they said it's hard to determine whether it's the brain injury or something prior. Right. But my dad, when I brought it up to him, is of the old school of, you know, ADHD don't exist. Uh, <laughs> that's what a belt is for. Or, you know, right. <laughs> you're not depressed. You're just, uh, go outside you know, and play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, don't and, get that. and that's, and I don't blame him at all because that is what he, that's why I say travel because I watch people that I grew up with in this area that still have the same mentalities and, they're not wrong for it. That's what they're taught. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I got to speak to other people away from here where it's not such a macho like environment that, and I still have trouble. I still have my old tendencies where there are certain things that I still hold true to that I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to be vulnerable here, but I'm still going to be, you know. Well, you have right. your passion. About, yeah. You're passionate about certain things, and that's okay. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. So, so I feel that if if people get away and you see different people and, and from different areas, um, it might help you find who you want to be, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, it's hard here when everyone is of a similar mentality you don't get to weigh options. Yeah, you don't know what it. You just know what you've been told. I mean, you know, growing up, and I'm sure anyone can think of this. When you, when you grow up, your parents are always right, and it's not until you hear hit a certain age, you're like, now wait a minute, this doesn't seem right, <laughs> and you start questioning your parents. You start questioning everything. Um, and yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying there. That that if you don't 
if you don't get out and, and about, you don't really know the totality of the world and you, you're, you, you will stay in those convictions that you grew up with and you don't know how to change from that. So that's a, that's a really good point. Um, so when you were in the military, um, you mentioned a brain injury that happened in the military. Yeah, that actually happened at war. So, um, with that particular instance, I'm, I'm sure I've had, uh, multiple brain uh, a buddy of mine said that uh he was telling his dad about some of the stuff and and he was like well jonathan's always had those problems he's like <laughs> he's just now getting diagnosed with it but the the particular instance i'm talking about so we were um we were on the back of a truck uh what, where was this at this was in iraq so this would have been in i believe it was in baghdad we went through so many cities because when i went we were actually invading so we started in Kuwait and we drove through while the war like first started. Um, and so uh, like I was in Kuwait when Bush came over and said, okay. all right, we're in, And so we were staged in Kuwait. We, we started moving forward. Um, the particular incident, I want to say we were in Baghdad. Uh, we had just done a patrol and we had the LMTV, which is one of our trucks, uh, come to pick us up. And there were two of them. And I was on the the um second truck, mm-hmm. the following, and uh a car had come some of this is hazy. A car had come to pass us and we were just kinda, you know, talking, uh, you know, because it was the same old routine. Yeah. And then all of a sudden IED went off. So we find out later that this was remote detonated from a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Someone called. What actually saved us was the car. So the car came up between us and the IED before they could detonate. It killed both the drivers. It still injured a lot of us. Wow. Um, But it was packed in uh, center blocks. Mm-hmm. So when it exploded, it created this dust that was so thick that you could only see a couple of inches in front of your face. Mm-hmm. And um, we thought we were about to get ambushed. We thought that the the explosion was a precursor to them ambushing us. So when it went off, we couldn't see. And they were yelling to get off the trucks to pull the perimeter. And I was towards the back of the truck, and there was panic going on and a sure, lot of other of things. Course. And so... We couldn't see what we were doing, and I actually got knocked off of the truck, which was, you know, it's probably about three foot in there or something like that. And um, but when I came down, I, I landed on the back of my head because I was mm-hmm. twisting. And um, you didn't have a helmet on. I did. You did, but it uh, it had knocked it up, mm-hmm. and so it busted the back of my head. Gotcha. And um, and I had fallen, and the way that I had also hit my knees. Um, I guess they were just in shock. I don't know, but they weren't working. And a buddy of mine, we have something called an old shit handle on the back of your IBA. <laughs> so he grabbed me and he pulled me and he pulled me behind this uh, fence. And so we're sitting there trying to set up and, um, you know, I'm panicking because I can't get up or stand yeah. or whatever. So I've just got my weapon at the ready and we hear, is everybody on? And, they're about to take off because they can't see us. So we're right. yelling. Cause now I'm scared to death. They're about to leave us in the middle of right. Baghdad yeah. and there's only two of us. Um, but they stopped. We actually had to follow the, uh, lead trucks, um, oil spill. Okay. And that's how we found them. And, um, a bunch of those guys, unfortunately, you know, they got injured pretty yeah. badly. Um, the car took the brunt of what we were. So yeah. we still had injuries, but it wasn't 
as severe as some of those. So that's where the brain injury came from. I was unconscious for a little while. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that we discovered that was when I finally got back, it wasn't until I got out of the military, um, I played guitar. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that a lot of the songs that I used to be able to play, I couldn't remember. And also I had trouble fingering the chords. I yeah. couldn't play as fast. And um, so you had more trouble with your left hand yeah. than your right hand, and okay. that's when they found out it was a, a right side of the brain gotcha. injury. Yeah, and they did MRIs and how found about that? So parts. the brain is so fucking weird. Yeah, golly. Yeah, it is so weird. Uh, so, so do you think that brain injury led to anything that you were experiencing now, or maybe a totality of just uh, maybe some genetics, maybe um, just chemical imbalance, or and 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 plus brain injury, or you think that has directly led to anything that you're experiencing now. I do have, I still have a lot of uh, memory issues. Do I, you? I write a lot down. I email myself a lot. I take okay. a lot of pictures. Um, smartphones have helped me greatly. Oh, I bet so. Uh, I also have issues with my speech from time to time. I get real uh, tongue tied. Mm-hmm. It's not often, it, it had straightened out, but it's starting to come back yeah. some. So they're looking into that, the VA when I say they, uh, the VA is looking into that now. Um, they also said that it mimics bipolar. Um, I've been on bipolar um, medications. Okay. I have manic. Um, I have very short highs, and I spend a lot of money when I get into mm-hmm. those manic. I, I get very motivated. I start a lot of projects, yep. and then the depression hits. Mm-hmm. And I don't finish most of them. It's very <laughs> usual. Yeah. That, yeah. There's, there's no, yeah. That, that sounds exactly like what you're saying, a, a manic state. And you were even telling me when I first got here um, that you wanted to shoot a music video and you, you went to a friend and the friend was like, I don't know if I have time. So you're like, fuck it. I'll do it myself. You went and bought <laughs> all this equipment and now you're a video editor. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah. So that's how that goes. I, I bought a boat. Um, I paid like I paid cash for it. Mm-hmm. It was a brand new boat, and it was one of those things where I hit a moment, and I was like, "I'm gonna go get one." And uh, I get very impatient, and so they were telling me that I had to have insurance on it before I could leave the lot, and I was like, uh, "Why? It's mine." And they were <laughs> like, "That's the law." And I was like, "What if I buy it?" And they were like. The lady laughed, and I was like, I'm not playing. And so yeah. out of spite, I paid for this boat, and then <laughs> I got back on my medication like I was supposed to be. I was like, well, that, that might not have been the smartest thing in the world, but, you know, it is what it is. I got it. But so. with the boat thing, like, you, you're you a boat mechanic, right? You Did you go to school for yeah. for boat? So yeah. what's that that, sto- that side of your story? Um. Well, the VA is actually – paid or the military or whoever because i don't think it's the va um the army i guess paid for a lot of my education i went to school for music um um, i went to school for industrial electrical i didn't finish that um and then i went to school for boating for a year down in orlando and i was lucky enough to not pay a cent for that wow that's good uh, yeah and so I, i graduated from that and i came home and started a boat um repair business mm-hmm. and it went well but what i didn't anticipate was the uh seasonal it's very seasonal so uh, when good point the didn't cold weather yeah. hit i had spent a lot of money into inventory mm-hmm. 
and I should have just been waiting until the next year. And, uh, I kind of hit hard times cause the VA, um, so they do a review of my percentages, um, every couple of years yep. and they had sent the letter to my ex-wife. This is right after I got this. So when, when you, um, talk to me about buying this, your, you know, your old home yep. or whatever, uh, I was in a bad spot. I had gone through a divorce. I had basically given my house away to my ex-wife. Right. Um, and, and we were on great terms. It wasn't like a nasty, I, I literally, you know, told her to come live there because I thought I had something lined up mm-hmm. and, um, I won't go into all of that, but it ended up not being <laughs> there. And I was kind of homeless. I had to live with my grandmother. And then this came open. As soon as I moved in here, uh, my ex-wife calls me and she's like, Hey, so don't panic. But the VA apparently sent me this letter months ago and I didn't see it and they're about to cut your funding. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, uh, so that's how I ended up going back to work and I ended you. up where I'm at now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so why boat repair? What got you into that? Cause I, I don't remember you being like, uh, you know, a guy that liked tools or fixing motors back when, you know, I, so, so the story of Jonathan and I, we were, you know, really good friends in middle school, high school. And then we, you know, after high school, he joined the military. I did not, our lives just kind of went separate ways. Uh, you know, we, we it crossed paths many times in between them, but, uh, I, I, when you did get into the boat repair business, I was like, huh, that's interesting. I never knew him to be that, you know, interested in that. What did get you interested in that field? So I've never, especially after the military, I never cared about hunting. Um, when I was in high school, I would like squirrel hunt. I was never like big into deer hunting or anything. Yeah. And I hated fishing. Okay. I hated it because, I had only gone with one of my grandpa or granddads or whatever. And, um, he was, his, his method of fishing was you threw the thing out and you just left it until something bit. And it didn't matter if it was hours. So he, he was getting away from you. You said it was your granddad. Yeah. He was getting away from your grandmother. That's what he was doing. There. <laughs> yeah. That was his, that was his plan. And, and so we'd sit out there and I was like, fishing sucks, yeah. man. Fishing is boring. And so years later, fast forward to probably like 2008, something like that. Um, like my ex-wife, she kept bugging me to go fishing and I know her personality, and I was like, you're going to hate it. It's boring. You just throw something out. Nothing ever bites. You just <laughs> sit there. And uh, she's like, well, let's go. So we went to um my stepmom's pond. Okay. And, man, the fish, you couldn't even let the, the hook hit the water. And they were just tearing it up. And she's like, I thought you said it was boring. I was like, it was. So she had and a I, completely different experience than you did. Yeah. yeah. And then I started getting with a buddy of mine and he's big. He, he saltwater fishes mainly now, but he had gone through the stages of bass fishing and cat fishing. And he eventually graduated to saltwater fishing. And that's what he enjoys doing. But he started giving me tips and this is how you fish for these type fish. And so I started going and then I realized there were parts of the, the water I wanted to get to and couldn't without a boat. So then I go buy a boat and, um, and then the boat starts messing up yep. and, uh, I start trying to fix it myself. I buy books and stuff and I finally take it to a guy and it, I think it cost me like $400 and I find out that all he did was unplug these four wires and put two bolts in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is a business I need to be in. And that's literally how <laughs> so it that, started. That's yeah. how it started. Okay. 
Interesting. I, I've always wanted to know how you got started in that business, and now I know, and now the world knows. So this is good. So <clears throat> you said you did mention that you do have PTSD, and you have been formally diagnosed with PTSD from the military. What so explain PTSD from your point of view? What what would you like for someone to know about PTSD that, that either they may not know or just try to describe it in general to to just a, a general person? All right. Well, I I'm gonna go back to so when we first got from uh, the army or when we, when we first got back from war, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people were trying to go uh, to the. Uh, the mental health people, the psychiatrists, psychologists, yes. things of this nature, but it was looked down upon because in infantry there, there, I think it's changed now, but at the time I was in, there were no females. It's a very masculine thing. Mm-hmm. You have very masculine guys. Um, and they basically were making fun of these guys. I don't think they were making fun of them for the mental aspect. Mm-hmm. I think they were making fun of them because a lot of these guys did have ulterior motives. They were trying to get out. They had seen uh, war and they were trying to haul ass. They, you know? they were, and you can't necessarily like, you can't run, run a lab test to see if you have mental health issues. So you can yeah. just say it. And, yeah. Okay. And so I think they were kind of known as like shit bags and stuff. And so a, a stigmatism came with it where if you went to mental health you were trying to pussy out okay yeah. that that was the the thing so i did not believe that ptsd existed i okay. mean i just it wasn't something that i believe i i was one of those guys that I, were like i was one of those guys too growing yeah. up um I, I don't know if it was a, being a product of darlington but i i always thought rub some dirt on it shake it off just get smile be happy just yeah. get over it yep. but yeah it's not until later in my life i'm like yeah this is kind of a real thing yeah so i'm totally with you on that so I, I was one of those guys that told him, like, quit being a pussy, you know, quit doing all this. Da, da, da. And then uh, fast forward to I get out the military. And when I get out, I go to work at this place called Shruthers Dunn. Um, it was basically like a relay, like a little electronics. And um, I would find myself coming to and I'd be like driving mm-hmm. and wouldn't know where the hell I was going. Wow. How I got that far. I started having, that's when I started noticing memory issues and I was working one day and, um, I'd never been a very emotional. Now I would get pissed off. I've always been known to have a temper. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, people always said I had two modes. I was either in a good mood or a very bad mood, but there was, I was <laughs> no, never no, kind of no in between. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and I remember, so the job I had, you had to pick orders from the warehouse. So people would put in an order, you'd get it, you go uh, pick the parts out and take it to shipping and you'd have to sign off on it. And so my supervisor comes to me and she's like, Jonathan, what's going on? You've picked the last three orders wrong. And I was like, I didn't pick those. And she was like, yeah. And I had signed it, mm-hmm. but I had no recollection of doing any of them. They wow. were, they were so wrong and i'm looking at her and all of a sudden i start crying Mm -hmm. and i don't know why i'm crying and now i'm getting angry because i don't know why i'm crying this person sees me crying and that's just not something you do and um and it i was livid you know Mm -hmm. because i was like you know now i'm embarrassed now i'm confused now you're vulnerable in front of this kind of stranger yeah and so i go and i start I believe I talked to my dad and we had a cousin who worked with the VA Mm -hmm. and she said, Roger sounds like signs of P 
PTSD, you know, the memory thing. He's, he's, you know, blanking out. She said, let's just have him talk to somebody. Yeah. And so, uh, once again, I don't believe it exists. So I think it's a waste of time. <laughs> right. And we get up there and I, I met, met with this lady and, um, start talking and she was like, you need to see someone. And it was that day the VA like fast tracked me. I, the lady I talked to ended up being on up in, uh, the hierarchy in the VA. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not even sure how I got access to speak directly to her. Um, but it fast tracked me and I was able to get a lot of help very fast. And, um, I'm very appreciative. When you say help, does that mean like, uh, you went and talked to a therapist or, or what, what does help mean? It, it was a lot of things. So they started, uh, they, they ran labs and then they, um, had me go speak to a therapist. I had to take, um, uh, test. I can't remember the name of the test. It was like eight hours and you just do like different brain functions wow. and, and you, okay. uh, some type of cognitive tests, cognitive. That's okay. exactly what it was. Okay. And, um, ended up like, that's where they realized I was having trouble recognizing shapes. These are things I didn't realize I was having trouble right. because like, why would I, it's yeah. just, it's life. And then, um, they started realizing a lot of stuff and, um, and, started getting me help from there. Okay. Um, I got sent, uh, to Alabama, um, Tuscaloosa, a thing out there and they deal with PTSD and, um, uh, substance abuse. Cause I tried to self medicate and yeah, you know, it goes into a lot of different things. Right. Gotcha. So, so PTSD for you was memory loss, uh, just kind of, you know, not knowing where you're at, snapping back into it and go, Hey, what the hell am I? Was, was I had a lot of, uh, nightmares, nightmares. Um, okay. Yeah. Nightmares. Uh, certain things would send me into, I guess what they'd call flashbacks, but mm -hmm. mine weren't, I don't know how other people describe them. I never, it wasn't like I was, well, I had episodes that, made me think I was back where I was, but it was usually very brief. I never heard anyone. Um, I almost hurt my wife one time and at night cause we were in the bed and I got to thinking that I'd lost my weapon and mm -hmm. I didn't know who she was. And, wow. And so stuff like that. That's so happened. scary. Yeah. Uh, she actually, and that's why I always have a lot of respect for her because even though we're not together, um, she put up with a lot of crap mm -hmm. and she is the one that actually probably got me the most help yeah. and, and was very supportive. So I'll always respect her. It takes a special kind of person to put up with someone who <laughs> isn't acting, uh, rational. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot yeah, of times my wife has to put up with my shit sometimes and it's, it's happened over the past week or two. So I to totally, totally get that. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> Now, now that you've been diagnosed with PTSD, what kind of path or treatments did they, did the VA say, okay, we want you to do these things. Was it medications? Was it therapy? Was it, what, what, what did they suggest for you? You know, at, once you got home after the fact, what are you doing now? I'll say, um, so I've been on a lot of different medications. Um, some of them work for a little while. Some of them are put me way out of it. Mm -hmm. I build up a tolerance, um, the thing about medications that I want everybody to understand is medication is not a fix all. Nope. Uh, it is very much so to help you 
get through, but you still need other avenues. You're not yeah. going to pop a pill and fix all your problems. No, you still got to find that root cause. Yep. Yeah. And, and so what my medications do, and I've been on a bunch of different kinds. Um, I, I don't even know the kind I'm on That's right now. Right. I mean, That's okay. You I, see, I see, I see your bucket over there. <laughs> yeah. I've got a bucket <laughs> I take, but, um, what I've realized are they help me kind of stay in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. I don't have the extreme highs. I don't have the extreme lows. It allows me to think rationally. Yeah. Um, I guess my biggest problem was uh, I wouldn't think. So if something happened, I was very impulsive. I'm still impulsive to a thing, but I can still kind of think through it mm-hmm. before it would be like, man, uh, this is the worst thing in the world. It's never going to get better. You know, I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Um, now I, I know that it'll end. I, I think that's a lot where the suicide came into play. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd been in those. That's why a lot of veterans I do believe do kill themselves. One, um, some people say it's a cowardly way out. I'm not going to say that because I've been there and it wasn't that I was, wanting to you know take the easy way out it was the fact that at the time i didn't think that i was going to be a good role model for my sons i did not want them to see me in that weakened state sure and um you know and and it wasn't that i was thinking about how it was going to affect everybody else Mm -hmm. it was just like look i don't know if i can do this anymore it's just pain is pain yeah um i was just describing what my last depression episode felt it felt like um like a bad sunburn on my brain like when you have a bad sunburn you can't lay on your side you can't lay on your your belly or your back it just it just hurts every everywhere hurts all the time and that's what and if you know you know like if you you've been there you know what i'm you know exactly what i'm talking about um so it's hard to explain but it when you tell people yeah your brain hurts they think headache but no it's not like it's not like a headache it's like your brain is just constantly in pain yeah um yeah mine runs nonstop, and it'll be it never gets quiet that's the best way i can describe it um i used to hear certain voices not there was never voices i want to clarify that were telling me (laughs) to go like people have that john lennon none of those voices (laughs) mine were more of actual instances that i experienced in the war and it was echoes it was kind of like i'm coming out of a dream state i would hear certain things but i think that's just overactive it's just you're your brain's always going. So you asked me earlier, some of the things that the VA did to help. Um, the thing that helped me the most is when I was in Orlando, the, um, psychologist I had, she was outstanding. Um, put me through something called exposure therapy. Okay. Exposure therapy is very difficult to go through. Okay. But if, if you can get through it, then, um, it was very helpful for me. It, it, once again, everybody's got their own thing that's going to help them. Sure. Exposure therapy, for those that don't know, are, is they basically take the worst memory you have mm-hmm. and you relive it over and over. You record it. You have to listen to it. You come back in and you start all over again. And what you end up doing is crazy the way it works because she told me, and I didn't think about it, but um, 
I didn't think it was true, but uh, you keep saying it and then you start remembering more things because your brain is compartmentalized this so much right. that you just have a vague outline. Mm-hmm. And then when you start going deeper into the memory, then you start remembering more vividly, which you would think is uh, bad because it's the worst memory. But what it kind of does and the best way that I've had it explained to me is if you walk into a dark room and you get punched in the back of the head, mm-hmm. then you don't want to go back in any more dark rooms because that was your experience. Right. Um, that experience takes a hold on you. But if you continuously go back in and you realize I don't get punched in the head. That was a one-time thing. It doesn't have a hold on you. So they basically make you relive this memory to the point where it doesn't feel, you feel detached from it. You don't feel like it was happening to you. It's just now a memory. It was yeah. just something you saw or witnessed. And, that is uh, fucking fascinating. Yeah. I've I've read about exposure therapy, yeah. um, but I really didn't have a firsthand experience on it. But wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah. I, that, so yeah, so so really they just they make you live your your worst memory over and over until yeah. you're like until you ex- I guess accept it that a I survived mm-hmm. b um here's what I learned from that you know it, it happened to me and I'm still here so I I could see the the, the benefits of doing that but I, yeah it sounds scary as hell yeah I think with me it was because I had a tunnel vision on my role in the situation and then once I did the exposure therapy and we listed over and over. It's almost like panning out. Imagine like watching a movie and you're watching first person the whole time. Yeah. But then when you pan out and you see what everybody else is doing, then it kind of relieves what you you get to see more of it. But Mm -hmm. at the time, it's so traumatic that you're not seeing it, everybody. If you were in a car wreck and that's traumatic and you're only experiencing you, you're not thinking if you continue to live it and then you start thinking about what the other person might have been feeling right, right. before it happened, yeah. the panic they went through, then it kind of lessens the load that you're yeah, taking You're not on. toting all that around anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's, that is beautiful. Fascinating. So when I, when I, you approached me about doing this podcast, it was closer to um, uh, Independence Day, uh, July 4th. Today's July 24th. Um, so I, some of the questions I written, one was about fireworks because, you know, July 4th, people pop fireworks usually for like two or three days it's they no longer do it on the just the fourth yeah i heard them on the second and the third uh this year so when it comes to new year's eve and july 4th um i've always heard that you know folks that have been at war and have ptsd that those days are not good for them because it brings back bad memories can you in a first person point of view just you know, explain that a little bit more for someone that may not know, you know, you can read about it, but until you hear someone actually talk about it, it makes a difference. So explain that. Um, I hate it. I hate it bad. Um, so I'd always try to avoid it because a lot. So when I was in Iraq, a lot of the distant fire sounds like, um, fireworks, you hear you know, and so a lot of your ones that are going off, in you know succession mm-hmm. sounds like that the the bigger ones sound kind of like mortar rounds going off or ieds in the distance and stuff um i didn't think it was going to affect me much we went to a, the mountains when my kids were very young i was with my dad my ex-wife the kids and you know and uh they had a big fireworks show and we were all set up and about halfway through it i just completely broke down like i was shaking and just and I was having memories and my dad grabbed me and 
you know, took me away. We got in the car. And since then I've tried, but even now, after all the help I've done, I know that I'm not going to get hurt by it. Right. But it just, it just gets to me. It makes my anxiety go up and uh, I've tried to deal with it. So now I just typically take sleeping pills and just yeah try to get through those get nights. Through it. So is it kind of like, is it the, the, the suddenness of it, the uncertainty? Cause you, you, all you hear is a pop. Like yeah. if you saw it, would it help? Like it could, you could see it go in the air and then pop. You could almost anticipate it. Does that help at all? Or this, just hearing it, just the worst because you can't see it. You don't know when it's coming. I think it's a little of all of it. Sometimes the seeing it, um, it's just the flashing mm. has an effect on me. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it's not all the times, but when it, it does happen, it's usually bad because it's like the whole time I'm trying to tell myself, Hey, this is going to be all right. You know, right. but your body is, it's almost like you're fighting against your, your body's natural instinct mm-hmm. saying, Hey, last time this happened, <laughs> yeah. you know what I right. mean? So. I've been reading a book recently. Uh, it was called 10% happier and I can't remember the author's name. I'm not a good book reviewer at all. Um, his name is Dan something. He was an anchor for, I want to say NBC at one point in his life. And he, it was around nine 11. He got, stationed over in iraq or whatever uh, and he was like the the iraq news anchor like he was you know moving up in his career he got stationed over in iraq and he came back um you know from being in iraq having bullets shot at his head like he, he can remember you know bullets whizzing by his head and everything uh, but when he got back he got into cocaine and heroin because he wanted he, he missed that adrenaline rush and he wanted that adrenaline rush um and, and he later on in the book, you know, was talking about how guys in the military, they, they missed that adrenaline rush. When they get back, they'll buy like motorcycles and go 110 on the freeway. They'll do all these crazy things. Some of them reenlist and go back into the military because they just miss it. Uh, do you have like, do you any stories, maybe not necessarily personal, but do you know any, any guys that were in that way that like they just became an adrenaline junkie from, from war and being around that all the time? I do. I think that's a very common thing to come back um i my my biggest thing was when i got back i stayed in the bars and the reason being is especially um you know uncle al you know he Mm -hmm. ran katie's and stuff Mm -hmm. and so i would go out there all the time and i i gained i guess a reputation or whatever for fighting a lot mm-hmm. like I, i'd start stuff and in the beginning i don't think people really thought much of it then it became an issue you know like every time i come in they were like okay what's the <laughs> win and and that's a bad feeling looking back on it now i'm yeah. kind of embarrassed but at the time it was either i was going to take a girl home or i was going to hit somebody those were my two options those were your two options <laughs> and i think a lot of that stemmed from uh that was the only time i truly felt alive like the rest of the time that I was living life, mm-hmm. like you wake up and it was so mundane. It right. was just like, when you go, like I said, man, I was 19, 20 years old and this is going on. And then you come back here and you're like, all right, well, you know, let's watch gun smoke. It, yeah. it's, it's like the most boring. And so you go out and then, uh, you get this aggressive feeling and, and, and so you're looking for a way out and right. it's either that or sex. I mean, anything that 
you got very primitive. So, you know, yeah. men are wired to survive and to have sex. Yeah. So you, you just went back to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, one of my therapist put a lot. In, now also, I, I think I was very insecure is where is you, I felt like I had to prove, cause in a way I almost felt like, um, I didn't deserve the accolades I was given. And that comes from, being younger you're told to be humble like that's one big thing that that i was taught that i tried to teach my kids because being you know a a braggart is annoying and it does make it seem like you're trying too hard yeah but i became so worried about it that i didn't know how to accept compliments so Mm -hmm. then when you go to war and you come back and everybody's like thank you for your service i to Mm -hmm. this day don't know how to respond to that you don't no i don't because one I have different ways of looking at it. I'm proud of what I did, mm-hmm. and and uh, but two, I, I signed a paper. I knew fully what I was doing. Just yeah. like if you go to be an IT tech, yeah. you're signing. That's what you want to do. Yeah. If people stop every time, it was like, hey, thank you for what you do. Yeah. It'd become a little weird at times. I usually um, get, my shit still don't work. <laughs> Come back and fix it. That's what yeah. I get, yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> when I came back, I almost felt like a fraud because I had a billboard. You know, I had write-ups in the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, you have all these people coming up to you. And at the time, I'm thinking back to the guys I know that didn't make it back, the guys that I know that came back fucked up. Yeah. And and I have mental scars, and I did have some physical, but not to, like, where I'm missing stuff, yeah. you know. And so you, I personally felt like a fraud it's called called imposter syndrome and i've had that in my life too when i became a manager uh, a few years ago i was like what the hell am i doing managing people like i'm (laughs) in my head i'm I'm still like a 20 year old kid yeah and now i'm responsible for people older than me what this is does i I felt like an imposter like they're gonna figure me out one day and they're gonna fire the hell out of me so yeah i totally get that imposter syndrome is 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 a real thing um i had a, a therapist um tell me the the thing that helped me so i would go into these bars and i would be so aggressive like i'd be sitting at the end of the bar and minding my own business and they're at the other end minding their own business but some guy tells a joke and they're laughing and i look up and one of them happens to look at me and i'm like oh something's funny they're you know because like me, yeah and and so i would start things and i look back on it and i think in a way i knew but i was trying to prove this persona that i felt like people thought of me as like mm-hmm. oh he he went to war and you know he's strong and, and like mentally mm-hmm. and, and this and and so i started trying to impose that i tried to do it until i believed it yeah and um i once had a therapist um talk to me and she once she said it man it seems so it's so simple but it's so true and she was like in reality you're the star of your movie. Oh, that's perfect. And, yes. And she was like, but nobody cares that you exist. And she said, when you walk in that bar, those two guys did not notice you care that mm. because they are starring in there. Yeah. And so she's like, you're, you're not that important. And she said, I'm not saying that to hurt your feelings. She said, when they walked in, did you notice? And I was like, no. And she's like, you need to start thinking that way. Yeah, everything. we're so damn busy. Like it's it's gonna be very liberating to feel like you know what nobody does care about me. I can probably take my shirt off in the middle of <laughs> food lion right now, and no one would care. And that's nobody. that's very liberating in yeah. a way. So yeah, I'm glad your therapist hit on that because that is that is a great point. 
So with the VA, uh, VA, I, everything I hear about the VA is a bad rap. Does is the VA the does the VA deserve the bad rap that it gets? In your opinion? Yes and no. Okay. Um, the problem with the VA is it's run by the government. Okay. Just like everything else, and they are trying to do too much with too little. Okay. They're they're overwhelmed. The people that are there are underpaid. So most of the people you get want to be there, mm-hmm. but they also get their hands tied. I had a psychiatrist leave because they were telling him what medicines he couldn't prescribe. Yeah. And um, he was getting fed up because he felt like as much as he was trying to help, they weren't letting him. Yeah. Now they've attempted to make a lot of improvements. I will say I've had, some very good um, work done in Orlando. Everybody I came across in Orlando, Columbia, I haven't had as great of experiences, not saying there aren't some great doctors and stuff out there, but it just seems like maybe they're overwhelmed. I have a cousin who gets a lot of stuff done in Charleston. Um, his medical needs are a lot more hands-on. So he actually moved down there because he enjoyed, he hated the one in Columbia. I guess it just depends on who you get. Yeah. There's a Florence outpatient clinic and I've, I've run into some very good, um, psychologists at the Florence. Um, and it's just one of those things. Like it's kind of like the luck of the draw, but they're they're They've got too many people and not enough help. Yeah. So that's where the horror story. Now, as far as their, um, <laughs> Their treatment as far as like medical procedures, Mm -hmm. I haven't heard a whole lot and good things. And luckily I haven't had to have things other than like MRIs. And, um, I think they took my wisdom teeth out. That was the only, you know, surgeries I've had done through them. Um, they are trying to get to where you can go to outpatient because they're overwhelmed. So you can go into the community. So that, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, if if you were in charge of the VA, what would be the first thing that you would change? Uh, I guess just um, you need more clinics because you got people that's that's driving. I mean, you can't even find a parking space in Columbia most of the time. You know, I mean, you might have to drive around for ten minutes find somewhere to park, which tells me that you got too many patients and not enough clinic. Yeah. Um, they are trying satellite things. I, it's hard just like, uh, for instance, I lost a tooth because when I went up there, I knew that I had, um, a cavity. Mm -hmm. They didn't have time to do it that day. They scheduled me was six months out. Mm -hmm. Um, the tooth got infected. So I had an abscess. Uh, by the time I went back, the the tooth had cracked Mm -hmm. and it was an ongoing process. And then they were going to give me an implant that I just got like three years ago, but this was from 2010. So it's just, it's hard to get anything done. Um, You can't call up there. If I call Florence, I might end up having to talk to someone in Columbia Mm. to send me back to Florence. It's It's just understaffed big time. It's it's hard to get anything done. So if, Do you have any advice if there's anyone out there listening that's on the fence about joining the military or or would you do it again or what would you tell someone that's about to enlist? I would do it again. Um, 
I think I'd have probably stayed in if I'd have reclassified to a different job. Yeah. Uh, infantry, you're on the front lines, you're kicking in doors, you're doing, you're, <laughs> you're trying not to be a bullet cushion is <laughs> what right. it boils down to. <laughs> um, you, you move up fast in the infantry so you get ranked very quick, but it's because people were steadily getting out or getting killed or whatever the case may be. Um, so I think I would have, I wouldn't trade it because of the pride that comes with being an infantryman sure. would not trade it. Some of the people that you meet are the most genuine people that you'll ever come across yep. and you share a bond with them because of, course. Because of what you go through together. Yeah. Um, but if you're, if you're on the fence, um, just do your research, figure out what branch it is, find out, go in with a plan, go in with, if, if you're wanting to be a lifer, there's nothing wrong with being an infantryman because you're going to be a military man. Mm -hmm. Um, when I got out, I didn't have a whole lot, you know, I could shoot somebody at 300 meters. That don't get you a whole lot of civilian jobs. You know, it's not, right. yeah. it's yeah. not a lot to go on, but if, if you're a mechanic, and you want to be, then you can be a mechanic in the military. If you want to, you know, be like an MP and get, uh, I guess, police training, then mm -hmm. that's something you can follow. There's, uh, there's 212 jobs. You can be a linguist. You can be a dental assistant. Right. I mean, if, it depends on what you're looking out at to get out mm -hmm. of it, I guess is. So yeah, I'd go. Do um, you research? Do you research? You would, you would go back. That's good. So, my last question for you, and I see you got a notepad, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to you after my last question, make sure we didn't miss anything. Um, do you have any advice for anyone that might be listening that's hesitant about getting help, that might be suffering suffering similar issues that you that you have suffered? Because you know us guys we're stubborn as hell. We don't like to talk about our feelings. We don't like to say that we need help. We don't like to talk about things that are wrong with us. Uh, would you, what, what advice would you give someone that's out there that might be in a similar situation you've been in that are like, you know, I don't want to be a burden on someone or I'm embarrassed to talk about this. What would you tell them? Get help. I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh, if you're thinking about it, then you probably need it. That Good that's, point. that's where it boils down to. If you've thought about it, then you probably need it. Um, and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks because once again, it boils down to most people don't care anyway. They do not care. No. And now is the time where actually is your, the people now are more aware of it than they've ever been in the past. And they're pushing more like, I guess the whole woke community or whatever, yeah. where you can have feelings. Yeah. It wasn't like when I came up and it was like, why the hell are you crying? Yeah, You're a man. Don't, you don't know, cry. Uh, why, yeah. yeah, why would you? I tell my daughter that, you know, that, you know, when I was coming up that boys were, it was looked down on for boys to cry. And she would go, she's nine. She would say, that's stupid. I'm like, yeah. that is stupid. <laughs> that's and, very stupid. And I feel so terrible about it because when I got out, I still had this, this thought process in my brain and I raised my kids that way. Even but though. But Jonathan, when you got out, how old were you? I was 
22, I believe. And your brain hadn't fully developed yeah. yet. You were still yeah. a kid. So don't beat and, yourself up because of that. And I had my kids come out. They used to go hide in their closet if they were going to cry if I was at the house because they did not want to see me to see them cry. Yeah. And my ex-wife would get pissed. And yeah. she had every right to be. But I, I guess what I was trying to get across is, I, and that's what I told them, because as the years went on and I seen this happen yeah. and she was like, go look in his closet and I'd go in there and see my child who was like six years old cowering. And yeah. as soon as I opened the closet door, he's, he's trying to you know, it like, yeah. yeah, he's cutting the tears off. And I finally had to sit down with him and be like, uh, this happened not long ago. Like I was showing them how to clean a fish and the fish started moving and it upset one of my kids very bad and i mean this has only been like two years ago mm -hmm. so it wasn't like he was small and he was so embarrassed that it bothered him and i finally told him i was like dude it's okay yeah um but that stems from me you know sure. and yeah. and i finally told him i said look it's not that i care if y'all cry i don't want to hear you crying because you didn't get your way that's what's <laughs> pissing me off you know it's like if you're hurt cry if you feel something inside that's fine but if you're just mad because you didn't get a cookie then yeah. i don't want to hear it you right. know and so i i think but i didn't get my message across that way mm -hmm. i was very um but going back to the original question is if somebody needs help they need to go there you you don't need to hold back if you've thought about it do it find what works for you there's so many different methods of therapy like when i went I had to go through group. I hated it. I fucking hated group. group. What is group? So group therapy is when you sit in a room with a bunch of other people mm -hmm. and you discuss things. Now, so it's similar to AA in a way, kind of. Um, okay. it, and it's just and it's with every form. Like if you have anxiety, there are groups where you can go and share with other people that have anxiety, and they tell their story, and you tell theirs. I hated it because I knew other people suffered from what I had. You know, I mean, I wasn't, it's very good because some people need to hear that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not downing group at all. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people very successful. I'm telling you, I hated it. It didn't work for you. Because when I got in there, I felt, especially in the military, in the VA, I was over there and it felt like a dick swinging contest where this guy was <laughs> like, uh, you know, I went to Vietnam and I seen, you know, bodies on bodies on bodies. And then this other guy stood up. He had never been deployed and he would just be like, one time my drill sergeant yelled at me. And so now <laughs> you got all these people that are like Vietnam vets yeah. telling this guy to shut the hell up. And you're in, <laughs> you're in a group therapy that's supposed to be uplifting. Yeah. And now it feels like somebody's telling the worst story. Now, this is where I, I feel learned. like that could be a good like sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> it could. What I learned from that, though, that I'm very glad that I experienced was this one guy's worst, most traumatic experience was getting yelled at. He he grew up in a home where the parents didn't yell. He came up with a good. So that was his most traumatic yeah. experience. This other guy came up on, you know, ditches full of bodies on fire or whatever. That was his most traumatic. Now. The way they processed it was the same, though. Right. This was still his most traumatic yes. experience. So you can't, there are no levels to this. Pain is pain. Trauma is trauma. And that's what I learned from group. Yeah. So I'm thankful I saw it, but it did not work for me. Now, 
I'm not saying it won't work. The reason I'm saying I hate group is because I'm trying to inform people that there are multiple ways. Find what works for you. And you go into it with an open mind. So me, I like one-on-one. I want to feel like they are completely devoted to me Mm -hmm. because I want to say what I want to say. I want to see what you analyze. And then we discuss group. The ones I was at, I don't think that the uh, facilitator was very good, and yeah. that's why it got out of hand. Gotcha. But if you get in a good group where you're on the same link, yeah, and people are actually there to uplift you <laughs> <laughs> and not do stereotypical shit, right. then I think that would be a good. I just didn't have a good experience. I got it, you. So. That is. Oh man, I can only imagine that this that that group therapy shut up (laughs) what are you crying about oh man this was a funny story that really doesn't have anything to do but we were in another group setting and we were actually discussing uh substance abuse at this point um and there was this one guy and he was older guy and he had these thick glasses i mean like they were the thickest glasses I've ever seen. They made his eyes get, you know, real big and it was very comical looking. Mm-hmm. And there was this other guy who had been sedated. They had him on so many medications that I didn't even know why he was in here. Cause yeah. I was like, he can barely talk. Well, they had been slowly trying to take him off. And when he got, he still couldn't stand cause they hadn't weaned him off that much, yeah. but he was fully functional brain wise. And I understood why they medicated him. This was the most shit talking motherfucker <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. And so this guy is explaining his substance abuse and where it stemmed from and how he was like, I guess a sex addict mm-hmm. or something. And he's talking about, yeah, it used to be wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And he kept saying that phrase over yeah. and over. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Finally, the guy in the wheelchair, <laughs> he was like, ain't nobody sleeping with your googly-eyed ass. Like, he just, <laughs> and they about fault, and this guy can't even stand up. But, I mean, those are different. It's comical. Right. Because you're getting to see all these different personalities. Yeah. And, uh Unfortunately, everybody was trying to be uh, alpha, I guess. Yes, they were so. trying to one up each other. Yeah. It sounds like, oh man, do you, I'm out of questions for you. You 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 did excellent, but I see you have a notepad. Did we miss anything? Is there anything that you want to discuss that I did not ask you about, or anything that you just want to discuss in general? the 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 floor is yours, sir. Yeah, I think we kind of pretty much hit on everything that um that I had to say. I mean. Going back to like what we were talking about, the the childhood growing up. Yeah. I know a lot of mine came from uh hearing grandparents talk and mm-hmm. my I had my my dad's dad, my grandpa Taylor, I used to love his stories and he had the most wild, outlandish stories yeah. and he always told me when um you always come to a fork in the road decision making mm-hmm. and one of them takes you home and you get to go home, and you get a good night's sleep, and the other one leads you to a story. And it ain't always good then, but you always got something to talk about later. Right. And unfortunately, that stuck in my head. And I feel like maybe some of, <laughs> some of my decision, I know my decision making came from that yeah. because I've never made a decision and been like, oh, this is a good idea. I've always done it for a story. Yeah. But I think it becomes this point of you don't feel like you deserve. It goes back to the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. is because you're trying to create a persona who you don't really know if that's who you are. Yeah. And then you end up in a position where it's like, 
well, now this is all I know. You yeah. know, you're, you're crazy. And, and so I think that came you're along. You're the guy now that does the crazy thing. So you got to keep one up in yeah. yourself. And, 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 yeah. And it ends up to terrible decisions. See, I was the opposite of you. I, I would always go, if the fork in the road, I, was always, I would always go home. So, and that, that's, that's where I, you know, there are certain times in my life. I'm like, man, I wish I'd have done zigged when I zagged. So I would yeah. have a story, but yeah, that's the way, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, but when I, when I grew up here, uh, you know, there, there used to be woods back there, back where they have those houses now. Yeah. Yeah. And when I would be upset, you were talking about your, your son crying, I would, I would cry and I would run off into the woods and, and I would like just stay in there because I'd want my parents to come look for me. And it would like one hour would pass, two hours would pass. It would be nighttime. I would come back home. No, no, I came and looked for me. So I was like, <laughs> "Fuck, I gotta try something new to, to get attention now." Yeah. So that, that was what it was like growing up. It was like, "Yeah, you okay? You're crying. Well, don't do it in front of me. Yeah, <laughs> Go do it somewhere else." Yeah. And the thing about depression and and it comes back like kind of like what you're hitting on. Like you were waiting for them to come get you depression yeah, i wanted is, to feel like i was loved i wanted to feel like they missed me like oh shit where's matthew yeah nope, nope <laughs> never did and, and what sucks when it comes to that is um even if and, and i understand like which what you may have been upset with you know there's no telling what it was right. but even if they would have come and found you doesn't necessarily mean that a day from now you wouldn't have still been been craving that i feel like people think that when somebody's depressed they want attention mm -hmm. and so you're telling them man it'll be all right i hate like when i'm going like so i recently went through a breakup with the engagement mm -hmm. that i did not want right. at all yep. and everybody kept saying you deserve better you know don't you want to be with somebody no i wanted to be with her that's <laughs> why and i don't need anybody to tell me anything sometimes you just want to vent you just yeah. want to yeah. tell and that's why if you're going through this therapy is a good mm -hmm. situation especially a one-on-one -on -one because they are not going to fix any of your problems so nobody go into therapy thinking that your problem is going to be solved right what they're going to do is give you tools. A therapist will try to lead you to solve your own problems. Yeah. That's what they're there for. Yeah. yeah. I And that's why I tell people I have all the tools to be successful. And you have to find what works for you. Just like group didn't work for me, I do know a couple of guys that I went to a service where they love it. They found a camaraderie with their group because they see the same people and they're able to experience. And they don't always talk about the war. I'm to the point now in therapy, I don't talk about the war anymore like – I mean, that was 20 years ago. Right. Now I talk, I still have lingering effects, but I'm trying to use those tools to move forward. Yeah. Um, counting does not work for me. Right. So, cause I'm so impulsive. I go from zero to a hundred so fast that taking a step back and going 10, nine, but somebody that's more rational, mm -hmm. it does work because it gives them a time to breathe yeah. and then discuss me. I have to avoid it. If I'm getting angry, I have to get quiet because I tend to say things that I mean in the moment, but don't right. mean long-term. Sure. And so I have to kind of walk away. Mm -hmm. But as fast as I go to where I'm ready to fight somebody right. physically, if I walk away, literally five minutes later, I don't care anymore. Like I can go talk to that person and have zero. So I really have to watch things. So go to therapy and learn tools and get, understand it's not everything's not going to work for you so right. pick and it's even medications you might have to go through 
trial and error on several different medications so you find the one that works for you. I, I did. So yeah, I, they, I get that. At one I'm point, still going through that. They had me on Zoloft and Depakote. Okay. And Depakote causes you to gain weight, but they did not tell me that. All right. So I got up to like 2 eight. I'm st- I still have body issues because I've never been able to get back to where I was. But I was like at 280 at my heaviest and was miserable because I look in the mirror and I'm just fat. And, you know, even though my wife would tell me, you know, I love you, you know, mm. I couldn't see. Like, how could you love me? Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm superficial enough to be like. I don't know, you know, yeah. if, if the roles are reversed. I know I would, but right. you know, you look at it and you're like, ah. And so, um, Depakote, even though it mellowed my mood, mm-hmm. it made me did it more when, depressed when it, than alone. When you say it made you gain weight, did it just made you not want to be active. Is that why it made you? No, gain weight? Like, it's just it's it just slows your metabolism. Oh, okay. And and um, so they had me on two thousand milligrams of it, which apparently is ridiculous yeah. amount and so when i went like to experimenting on you dude i was on 150 of zoloft and 2000 of um depakote and when my ex was going through her nursing she said they had a guy on the same amount uh, no it wasn't the same amount it was less but they had to physically walk him around i was going to school you know because <laughs> i had built up a tolerance right and uh so i go to orlando and the way they found out is i'm talking to her and i was like look when i was at home they put me on Adapex. I went to a separate, like, and it was for weight loss. And um, she was like, we can't put you on Adapex because uh, heart, like, mm-hmm. it's been known to cause heart conditions. But let's see if we can manipulate your um, meds to see if weight loss might be a side effect of one yeah. that's comparable. So she took me to the psychiatrist because psychologist doesn't prescribe. Psychiatrist mm-hmm. does. And he gets right. a look and he goes, who put you on 2,000 grams of Depakote? <laughs> and I was like. Y'all did. And he was like, the VA? He's like, yeah. He's like, you shouldn't be on 2,000 milligrams of anything. <laughs> so he cut out the Depakote. He kept me on Zoloft. And I ended up losing like 30 pounds wow. just coming off of Come that. Off I that. still was eating the same yeah. crap, you know. But he told me basically, he was like, your body was like in sleep mode all the time. He mm. said, you know, like your metabolism will slow down when you sleep. He said, yours was on vacation. It was, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, glad to know, yeah, you know, so. explain so much. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jonathan, I appreciate your time today. Uh, I know your story is going to be beneficial to someone out there. I love you, man. Um, uh, again, thank you for, for being vulnerable with me because you were very vulnerable. You said things I didn't even think you'd say. I didn't, I, you, went, you went to places I didn't think you'd go, but yeah. I, I appreciate it. I know there would be others out there that appreciate it too. Is there anything you want to say before we before we click the, the off button here? Yeah, last thing I'll say is I always I held a lot in. Yeah. I know it's hard to tell by this, but I held a lot in for a lot of years, and now people say I won't shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, once they got me talking, it was like the floodgates opened, yeah. and I haven't shut up since. So if you're thinking about it, go get help, whoever it may be. Even if you start off talking to a friend, just try try vulnerability out. And, um, and it's practice. I mean, yeah. like everything else, the more yeah. you do it, the easier it becomes. Yeah, well, so. a, a quote I've read before and I really stick to is your mental health issues aren't your fault, but they are your responsibility. Oh, and that's good. I'll let my responsibility slip sometimes, but yeah. if you, and if you do, then mental health will come back and, and it'll say, Hey, I'm still here, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Don't uh, get so you got to stay on top of it. So, um, this has been part-time struggle. We appreciate you uh, listening in here. Um, if you want to be a guest on part-time struggle, just let me know. It's contact at parttimestruggle.com. Again, thanks for listening, Jonathan. Thank you. Big, 
big round of applause to you, buddy. I appreciate you. Thank you for and, having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you again. Bye-bye, yeah. everyone.